everyone. Welcome to Novel Ideas, episode number 79. I'm Candace Huber, your host and the owner of Tubby & Coo's Mid-City Bookshop in New Orleans. Novel Ideas is all about what I do best, books and board games. I bring you news, discussions, interviews and more every month. And most importantly, I make your TBR and or gaming list that much longer. That lovely song you're hearing is Brave by Jonathan Colton off his newest album, Solid State, available at solidstate.jonathancolton.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-C-O-U-L-T-O-N.com. So grab a cup of your favorite beverage, pull up a chair, and let's chat. This month, I'll catch you up on industry news, give you an excellent list of sci-fi and fantasy books written by women of color, discuss our book of the month, which is Fledgling by Octavia Butler, and bring you an interview with Bill Lavender, poet, editor, teacher, and director, and editor-in-chief of Lavender Inc. Dialogos, a small press located here in New Orleans. like to announce that we have created a Tubby and Coos Goodreads discussion group, which I'm really excited about. I think it's a great way to keep track of all the books we're reading and our various book clubs and, of course, our book of the month for this podcast as well. There are also polls, discussion threads, annual reading challenge, all kinds of things. So if you're on Goodreads, please look us up and join the group. You can just search for Tubby and Coos, or you can follow the link that I'll put in the show notes as well. Please come read with us. I'm really excited to have this new group online. And later in the podcast, I'll be talking with Bill Lavender about the Poetry Festival coming up in April. But I also wanted to mention that one of my favorite events of the year, the Tennessee Williams and Saints and Sinners Festival, is happening next weekend, March 20th through the 25th. I'll, of course, be there slinging books and bringing mischief with some of my favorite people. So please come and stop by. There's amazing panels, readings, workshops, all kinds of things going on at the festival. And for that, you can get tickets and more information at www.tennesseewilliams.net or at www.sasfest.org. Uh, links will also be in the show notes for those as well. So please come out to all these wonderful festivals happening. It's festival season in New Orleans. Um, so I want to start the podcast with some book industry news. There's been a lot going on this last month, y'all. So I, I'm going to bring some of the major things that I'm most excited about, but make sure to check the show notes as well because I'm going to put some extra things in there that I won't have time to talk about, but there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. So mainly... Neil Gaiman, who, if you've listened to any of my podcasts before or have read the blog or know anything about me, you know that Neil Gaiman is my absolute favorite ever. He has announced a new Sandman Universe line of comics. And this is so exciting because Sandman, it's been like 30 years since he first launched Sandman. And the comic was obviously super popular. If you don't know about it, you can look it up. I won't spend a bunch of time talking about Sandman itself. But this new project kicks off in August. It's called the Sandman Universe. It's a one-shot special, so it'll catch readers up on what's been happening in Dream's realm since the original Sandman. So Dream has now gone missing, and so it's he leaves a bunch of chaos in his wake, of course, uh, other developments include the opening of a rift between worlds and revealing a space beyond dreaming, which is really, really exciting. Uh, Lucian, who is Dream's official librarian, is still in charge of all the books that were dreamed and never written. But now one of those books has found itself 
into the waking world uh, and has been discovered by a group of children. And the dreaming also has a new resident. There's a lot of things going on. And some of that was spoilery. I apologize. Sandman has been out for a long time. So the statute of limitations on those spoilers is out. But the Sandman universe number one will be plotted by Neil Gaiman. But this is what's exciting because it's also going to be written by Nalo Hopkinson, Cat Howard, C. Spurrier, and Dan Waters with art by Bilquis Everly and a cover by Jay Lee. This is going to be phenomenal. I am so excited about Neil Gaiman and Nalo Hopkinson partnering. It's going to be the best thing. And... The four writers are going to explore the special's various threads in four new series. So Nalo Hopkinson is going to write House of Whispers and explore how the voodoo deity Erzuli ended up in the Dreaming with her titular house. Uh, And that's going to be freaking amazing. I'm so excited. Howard is going to write Books of Magic, which is going to follow up on the 1990 miniseries of the same name. And Spurrier is going to write The Dreaming, which will follow the Sandman supporting characters. And Waters will write Lucifer, which, of course, finds Lucifer himself blind and destitute, trapped in a small boarding house in a quiet town where no one can ever leave. It's going to be really, really exciting. I've already spent too much time for this, but this was all reported by EW.com. The link will be in the show notes. This is super great, guys. I'm so excited about it. Another piece of news, Terry Pratchett's Discworld is coming to TV. This was reported by The Nerdist. And, of course, later this year, Good Omens, which was done by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, is going to premiere on Amazon and BBC with Neil Gaiman as the showrunner. I'm super excited about that. Uh, But also Discworld is currently in development. BBC is said to be looking for an outside partner to help bring it to life. So it's going to be really cool if they can bring Discworld to life. It's been around forever. I think the first Discworld novel came out in 1983. There are 40 books in the world, and it's uh, a really great parody in fantasy. So I'll be really excited if this actually works out and Discworld is coming to TV. Another thing that I found super exciting is that HBO is adapting Fahrenheit 451 starring Michael B. Jordan, who is one of my favorites. If you have not seen Black Panther yet, please go and see it. That has nothing to do with book industry news, but Black Panther is amazing. Michael Jordan is amazing in it. And Fahrenheit 451, there's supposedly a film coming out in 2018 starring Michael B. Jordan. And I think it totally makes sense in today's political climate that they're doing a an adaptation of Fahrenheit 451. So HBO announced this in a press release. I also saw this on The Nerdist. And the film was directed by Raman Barani of 99 Homes. And it's just all about, you know, of course, book burning and history being rewritten. And I think it is so relevant to today, and I am very, very excited about this coming out. It will air on HBO in the spring of 2018, so it is done. It's going to happen. I will talk about it on the podcast when it comes out. I'm very, very excited about that as well. Also, the ALA have announced the Youth Media Award winners. I'll have a link to this as well online, but just to run down the major winners... 
The John Newberry Medal for the Most Outstanding Contribution to Children's Literature went to Hello Universe, written by Aaron Entrada Kelly. Uh, the book was published by Green Willow Books, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. The Ralph, the Randolph Calcott Medal, try saying that three times fast, for the most distinguished American picture book, the Randolph Caldecott Medal, I still couldn't say it correctly, uh, went to Wolf in the Snow, illustrated and written by Matthew Cordell, and that is the Caldecott winner. The book was published by Fuel and Friends, an imprint of Macmillan. The Coretta, the Coretta Scott King Book Awards, recognizing African-American authors and illustrators of outstanding books for children and young adults. Piecing Me Together, written by Renee Watson, is the King Author Award winner that was published by Bloomsbury Children's Books. Three King Author Honor Books were also named Crown and Ode to the Fresh Cut, written by Derek Barnes. A Long Way Down, written by Jason Reynolds. And The Hate You Give, written by Angie Thomas, were all mentioned and named as award winners. Out of Wonder, Poem Celebrating Poets, illustrated by Ikua Holmes, I hope I didn't butcher that name, is the King Illustrator Award winner. The book was written by Kwame Alexander with Chris Colderly and Marjorie Wentworth and was published by Candlewick Press. And then there are a lot of other awards as well that were given as part of the ALA, so I will have a link to that. Those are all of the major awards. One more quick thing that I wanted to do as part of news is that the 2017 Nebula Awards nominees, this is a really big sci-fi and fantasy award. Uh, so the awards nominees for 2017 have been announced as well. So the winners are going to be announced at the Sci-Fi and Fantasy Writers of America's 52nd annual Nebula Conference that takes place May 17th through the 20th. But here are some of the nom nominees. So for Best Novel... Amber Lowe by Lara Elena Donnelly, The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss, Spoonbenders by Daryl Gregory, The Stone Sky, yay, by N.K. Jemison, Six Wakes by Merle Lafferty, Jade City by Fonda Lee, and Autonomous by Annalee Newitz. For Best Short Story, Fandom for Robots by Veena G. Min Prasad, Welcome to Your Authentic Indian Experience by Rebecca Rowanhorse, Utopia, LOL, by Jamie Walls. Clearly lettered in a mostly steady hand by Fran Wilde. The Last Novelist, or A Dead Lizard in the Yard, by Matthew Kressel. Carnival Nine, by Caroline M. Joachim. And then finally, uh, there are some outstanding awards for uh, the Ray Bradbury Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation. There are some interesting selections in here as well. Get Out, written by Jordan Peele. The Good Place, the episode Michael's Gambit, written by Michael Schur. I love The Good Place. If you, if you don't watch it, that is definitely one that you should. Logan, screenplay by Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green. The Shape of Water, screenplay by Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor. Star Wars, The Last Jedi, written by Ryan Johnson. And Wonder Woman, screenplay by Alan Heinberg. There are other awards as well, so I will definitely link to that in the show notes, but that's all the time that I have for news. But you can get all the details and links to all the news I discussed today and more because I didn't have time to discuss all the news that I wanted in the show notes on our website, www.tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. And now it's time for a bookstacle. This segment is a play on the listicle articles that have become so popular, wherein I give you a list of great books. So I call it a bookstacle. 
In this bookstacle, I'm going to give you an amazing list of 10 science fiction and fantasy books written by women of color that will completely change your worldview. I wrote about this for the bookstore blog as well, so I will definitely put a link in the show notes. But all too often, we really don't get to see books written by women of color. They exist. They've always existed. There are a lot of them. But most of the time, especially in science fiction and fantasy, they remain hidden behind this like wall of white male stories, and it's really annoying. Mainstream awards have gotten a smidge better about representation, and I think overall the industry is getting better about giving voices to these stories. But still, more often than not, the big awards go to men, and white men pretty much still dominate genre fiction, although we are seeing a change, and I think that's great, and hopefully that keeps going. But women of color are writing these like mind-blowing, world-changing, innovative books. So if you're looking to expand your horizons, come with me on this journey, and I will tell you about, hopefully, some books that you've heard of, of course, but then maybe some books that you haven't heard of as well. The first book I want to talk about is The Fifth Season, or really the entire Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. Again, if you know me or have seen anything that I've written, I pretty much put N.K. Jemisin in everything. I love her. I love her stories. The Broken Earth trilogy is amazing. It follows uh, Essen, Cyanite, and Demaya, three women, each at a different age on their own journey at the end of the world. Really, N.K. Jemisin is a master of world building, and she weaves in all of these stories expertly as the apocalypse hangs in the balance. This book won the Hugo Award for Best Novel in 2016. The second book in the series, called The Obelisk Gate, won the Hugo Award for Best Novel the next year. Um, I uh, The Stone Sky hopefully will win it. Uh, so this is really a must-read trilogy. It's amazing. The Fifth Season is the first book in the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. The next book I want to talk about is called Everfair by Nisi Shaw. You may know Nisi Shaw as an acclaimed writer of short stories, and she's also a professor, and she teaches about the intersections of speculative fiction and social justice, including race, colonialism, sexuality, gender, and more. I really wish I could take a class with her because she is amazing. Everfair is her debut novel, and it's a steampunk masterpiece that manages to turn one of the worst human rights disasters on record into a marvelous and exciting exploration of the possibilities inherent in a turn of history in a compelling range of voices that have historically been silenced. This is a beautiful book, and it will give you a new insight into an often ignored piece of history. That is called Everfair by Nisi Shaw. Of course, I can't let a list go by like this without putting Octavia Butler on it. I'm not going to spend a ton of time because all of us have no Octavia Butler, hopefully, and have heard a lot about her. She's listed on all these types of lists. But I would recommend starting with Kindred with Octavia Butler. Um, so, you know, I, I could put all of her books on this list. We're going to be talking a lot more about Fledgling later on the podcast. So Kindred by Octavia Butler, of course, makes this list. Next, I'm going to bring up a book called Binti by Nettie Okorafor. This is an Afropolitan combination of alien adventure and old school African politics. A woman named Binti is the first of the Himba people ever to be offered a place at Umza University, which is the finest institution of higher learning in the galaxy. Binti takes this harrowing journey just to get an education. 
And it is a really, really great novella. It's short. It's only 96 pages. You can knock it out in an afternoon. It also won both the Hugo and Nebula Awards for Best Novella. So that is Binti by Nettie Okorafor. Next is My Soul to Keep by Tanana Reeve Dew. And this is the first book of the African Immortal series where a woman named Jessica discovers that her husband David is actually more than 400 years old and the member of this Ethiopian sect who traded their humanity so they would never die, which is a secret he must protect at any cost. But now they want him to leave his family and return to their immortal brethren. And instead, he decides to invoke this forbidden ritual to keep his wife and daughter with him forever. This is a skillfully rendered story. And Tanana Reevedu just is so good at plotting. It has a haunting climax that will keep you guessing and stick with you. I highly recommend it. It's called My Soul to Keep by Tanana Reevedu. Next is Brown Girl in the Ring by Nalo Hopkinson, who I just mentioned in the news segment as writing with Neil Gaiman on the new Sandman series. And it's very exciting. In this book, Brown Girl in the Ring, Hopkinson invents some of the most ingenious concepts I've ever read in speculative fiction. And her sheer innovation is reason enough to read her books. This book is so good. It's set in a post-apocalyptic Toronto, and it's one of the best books from one of the best speculative fiction writers. Definitely read this one, Brown Girl in the Ring by Nalo Hopkinson. Next is The Best of All Possible Worlds by Karen Lord. She is another name that if you don't already know it, you definitely should. She loves to take sci-fi tropes and spin and twist them. She is amazingly inventive, and she will show an impressive sense of perspective in this book. It's a stunning epic, part love story, part tragedy, part fantasy, part science fiction. It will really make you question yourself in the world and possibly learn something new. So definitely read that one as well. Read all of them. This one's called The Best of All Possible Worlds by Karen Lord. Saltfish Girl by Larissa Lai. So she expertly weaves details from her cultural and ethnic background into her writing, much like all of the authors on this list. And in Saltfish Girl, uh, the main character is an ageless female who is sometimes fish, snake, girl, and woman. And she encounters adversity in the form of capitalist biotechnology and the, quote, dreaming disease, unquote, a condition that makes the past leak into the present. This is magical realism where corporations govern cities, factory workers are cybernetically engineered, middle-class labor is a video game, and those who haven't sold out to commerce must fight the evil powers intent on controlling everything. So Saltfish Girl by Larissa Lai. Next is The Gilda Stories by Jewel Gomez. This book just saw its 25th anniversary in 2016, and it really has endured because of its visionary quality and its explorations of blackness, radical ecology, redefinitions of family, and the erotic potential of the vampire story, which we'll talk a lot more about in our next segment on Octavia Butler's Fledgling. But Jewel Gomez is amazing. The Gilda Stories is great. Uh, if you like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if you like Twilight, if you like Anne Rice, uh, if you like any kind of vampire, she really twists the vampire story well. So read that one, The Gilda Stories by Jewel Gomez. And finally, the last book on our list is called Ink by Sabrina Vorvulius. And our, if you think our current immigration system feels like a dystopia, then you should definitely read this book because it did not really seem so speculative anymore to me. 
In this book, immigrants are marked as, quote, inks by biometric tattoos. It's set in a fictional city in a rural town in the U.S. during a 10-year span in the near future. It's told in four voices, and it really asks the pertinent question, what happens when rhetoric about immigrants escalates to an institutionalized population control system? It's actually really frightening because it could happen today. And that one is called Ink by Sabrina Vervulius. All of these books, this whole list, can be found on our website, www.tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. You can also order the books on the website, get more information about them there. These books and these authors are absolutely amazing. Definitely check them out. Speaking of great books, our next segment is our book of the month. Each month, I'll introduce you to one of my picks and announce the book for the next month so you can read along if you choose. You can also discuss our books of the month and get updates in our discussion group on Goodreads. And this month's pick is Fledgling by Octavia Butler. Now, Octavia Butler is a sci-fi legend, and I just reread the Xenogenesis series where she tackles aliens in such a genius way. And after that, I was really interested to see how she does vampires, and so I read Fledgling, which is Butler's vampire novel. Uh, You may or may not know that it was actually the last novel she wrote before she died, and it was a new novel after she had taken a seven-year break. So Fledgling was released in 2005. Butler passed away in 2006. And so you might be thinking like, oh, vampires, they're so overdone. Why did you pick this book? And in a lot of ways, I think that's true. But Octavia Butler... This is this is Butler. So this is not your run-of-the-mill vampire story. Butler really takes the trappings of vampire lore and transforms them. It's a very original story. It has commentary on racism, sexism, classism, all the isms, and on human nature, really, in a way that only Octavia Butler began. So a little bit about the book, a non-spoilery sort of synopsis. The main character, her name is Shori. She's a vampire. She wakes up with amnesia in this cave. She's hungry. She's angry. She's lost. And as the story goes on, we learn that her entire family and her world basically has been destroyed. And this mystery unfolds. So the plot is this page-turning thriller. You have no idea what's going on. She has amnesia, and it's told from her point of view. So you find things out as she does. The characters are really, really compelling. I did get squeamish at points, and I'll talk a little bit about why later on. But from the first line, I was completely engrossed in this book. And as a reader, I was totally bitten by this novel, if you will. I mean, I really couldn't pass that one up. I had to make that joke. I know that it's cheesy. Um But in this book, there's an intricate plot. The amnesiac main character is on the run from this, like, mysterious big bad. You don't really know who destroyed her family. They're obviously after her. They want to destroy her as well. And it's just you want to know who it is and why they're after her. And on top of that, the the plot is great. But on top of that, Butler creates this fascinating new race of vampires who are scientifically advanced, they're matriarchal, they predate humanity, they like may or may not have come from another planet, you don't really know where they came from, and they defy every vampire legend you think you know. And of course, because Butler loves to use her work as social commentary, she really explores humanity through vampire-human relations 
as much as she does in in the Xenogenesis series series with uh, alien human relations as well. She does the same sort of thing in Fledgling. Uh, what I found really interesting is that the vampires don't kill humans. They instead they keep this harem of symbionts she calls them that that they feed from so that they don't harm any one individual and they insist that these humans are like willing volunteers who get pleasure from it and they they do and sort of are uh, but it's a really interesting dynamic that they have there and that's really where the most disturbing part of this novel came from me so Trigger warning, fair warning. Uh, the main character, Shori, is a 50-something-year-old vampire, but she's in a 10-year-old girl's body, and she has sex with her symbionts. Uh, they talk about mating. There are these really orgasmic feeding scenes that are, like, really consistently repulsive, but they're also mercifully brief. So that was that was the one part of this novel that really sort of grossed me out and made me squeamish is that this vampire who is a legitimate adult 50-year-old vampire lives in this 10-year-old girl's body. And so there are a lot of things that I can I can talk about and deconstruct with that that I don't really have time to do on the podcast. But if you want to talk, please go into our Goodreads discussion group or come to the bookstore and I'll talk to you about it a lot. So Really, there are a lot of similar themes in this book as there are in Xenogenesis. There's servant master and really what it means for a superior being to exchange gifts like extended life and extreme pleasure for a lifetime of servitude. Through her vampire-human relationships, she really poses the question of how much dominance or dependence humans need and questions human views of family and romance and at the same time, she deconstructs our known power structures of submission in return for freedom. That's really explored a lot in this book. And then through her inter-vampire relationships, she also explores class, race, power, and community. I found that this book was fascinating, compelling, disturbing. I went through the range of emotions with it. She really takes something you think you know and flips it upside down, much like she does in all of her work. And it really isn't just any vampire story. This is an Octavia Butler vampire story. So even if you aren't into vampires, if you're into genius writing, compelling stories, thinking about society and how we're structured and deconstructing a lot of these things about bodies and race and class and all the things, power structures, really, I highly recommend this book. It is at parts disturbing, but it's totally worth it. And and she obviously did that on purpose to help us deconstruct some things. So have you read it? Do you agree with me? Do you think I'm wrong? Tell me if you think I'm wrong. Tell me your thoughts on it. I really want to hear what you think in our Goodreads group, in our discussion thread of this book. You can search for Tubby and Coos on Goodreads, or you can follow the link in the show notes, or you can tweet me at Tubby and Coos. Please tell me what you think of this book. Tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. I would love to deconstruct this with you and have conversations, whether online or in the store. Next month, I'll be discussing Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. This is a debut novel from a Nigerian-American writer. It's the first in a planned trilogy. It is a West African-inspired fantasy starring a teenage girl named Zaley Adebola who has one final chance to bring magic back to her, to her world. But, of course, she has a journey of terrible dangers in front of her to do so. And if she doesn't, it could be the end of magic forever. 
This book, I'm I'm almost finished it now. It's basically like Black Panther, but with magic instead of superheroes. It's really good. The world building is absolutely phenomenal, and the characters are well-rounded, relatable. They feel really real. The world feels really real. It is such a well-done book. So if you decide to read it with me, Again, go to our Goodreads discussion group. You can discuss it there. I will talk about the book on the podcast next month. And if you put thoughts in the Goodreads discussion group or on social media anywhere, I might feature them on the podcast next month. So talk to me about Fledgling. Talk to me about the Children of Blood and Bone. Please talk to me about any book. That is what I do and what I love to discuss. For this month's interview segment, I'd like to welcome Bill Lavender. Bill is a poet, novelist, editor, and teacher living here in New Orleans. He founded Lavender Inc., a small press devoted mainly to poetry, in 1995, and he founded Dialogos, an imprint devoted to cross-cultural literatures, mostly in translation, in 2011. His poems, stories, and essays have appeared in dozens of print and web journals and anthologies, with theoretical writings appearing in contemporary literature and poetics today, among others. His most recent book of poetry, the groundbreaking verse memoir, Memory Wing, was published by Black Widow in 2011. His novel Q, a neo-picaresque view of a world in constant economic crisis, appeared from Trembling Pillow in 2013. Welcome, Bill. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So tell us a little bit about the publishing business and why did you decide to publish, and specifically poetry? Um... Well, I guess I decided to publish poetry because I was a poet and uh, all my friends were poets and there was um, a kind of poetry that really, that I was interested in that I didn't think was getting published enough. And also I just kind of wanted to try my hand at making books um, so in the beginning, I was doing uh, handmade uh, short runs of, uh, you know, little books of poetry um, under, usually under 50 pages. Um, these were the, the first ones I published back, uh, I guess, in the early 90s it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, while I was at uh, University of New Orleans, they... Uh, they asked me to uh, take over the UNO press um, and sort of revitalize it. It had been basically dormant for about a decade um, and it only published uh, three or four volumes prior to that. And, um, and I said, yeah, I could do this. Uh, so I, I sort of got into the more, um, uh, the sort of bigger publishing, you know, multi-genre with national distribution and things like that and sort of learned the ropes there. And, uh, and then when I lost that job uh, under the budget cuts, um, I just decided I would take what I would learned there and go ahead and apply it to Lavender, Inc. Mm-hmm. And um, see if I could expand it enough to... Um, not to really make money. I mean, it's still a labor of love, but it doesn't cost me too much anymore. And because we got about 110 titles in print right now, and um, you know, it's um, it's paying for itself. It's paying for the website, etc. Oh, um, yeah. So uh, 
you know, it's it's doing okay. And yeah. I still publish mostly poetry, but, um, you know, we're also novels and um, a little bit of nonfiction and a, a lot, a lot of translation. Yeah, and I'm curious, you mentioned a little bit earlier that it was a specific type of poetry that you didn't see a lot that you wanted to publish. What type of poetry is that? Um, I was always interested in poetry that came out of uh, the twin movements of the New York School and the San Francisco Renaissance, uh, basically kind of beat-oriented um I was interested in the language poets, you know, found the work interesting, um, but more as a, a, an influence than a goal, say. Um, and uh, so I just, um, you know, that was kind of what I was wanting to bring down here. Yeah. Okay. And coming up uh, in April, I think it's the 20th through the 22nd, is the New Orleans Poetry Festival. Tell us a little bit about that. When was that? When did you start that? And, and why did you think there was a need for this sort of celebration of poetry? Well, um, I was sitting at BJ's one night at the after the Bludgett Poetry Series reading and talking to Megan Burns. And she mentioned that uh, the Philadelphia Poetry Festival was coming up and she had some friends who were going to it and she was thinking about going to it. And she just said, you know, why don't, why don't we have a poetry festival? I mean, we have a great and very active scene down here. And, um, and I said, well, why don't we just do one? Mm -hmm. And so she said, okay. And, uh, that's what started it. And that was, uh, just about, Three and a half years ago, so we had the first one that April of um, sixteen, mm -hmm. and then April seventeen, and then this one coming up, weekend of April twenty one, twenty two, two thousand eighteen. Yeah. And what? Tell us a little bit about what happens at the festival. I know that there, of course, we sell books every year at the festival. Tubby and Coos will be there again this year. I'm really excited Absolutely. about it. Absolutely, yeah, you guys are great. <laughs> and, um, and there are so many, like, panels and readings and things that go on, so tell our listeners a little bit about what they can expect at the fest. Well, um, it's sort of multifaceted. Um, there's, uh, there's a book fair, which really is kind of the most popular and part of the fest and the centerpiece of it. This part of it also is free and open to the public all day that weekend, Saturday and Sunday, April 21, 22. Um, and we'll, this year we have, I believe, 40 tables um, uh, manned by small presses who will be selling books. And then we also have, um, have your table, of course, uh, selling books by absolutely anyone who comes to the fest. And... Um, we have um, on uh, Friday night, Friday the, um, I think Friday's the... The 20th. 20th, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, that night at Cafe Istanbul, we'll have uh, kind of our opening uh, big show with uh, Jack Bedell, Poet Laureate of Louisiana, and the Baton Rouge Slam team. And then uh, Kelsey May will be doing some music. Um to close that down. And then uh, Saturday morning, the festival proper starts and um, 
the book fair will be going on. And then we also have kind of a full coterie of um, concurrent panels and readings and workshops um, going on all day long on Saturday and Sunday. Um, it It's kind of various um, panels on everything from translation to uh, poetry and the anthropos Anthropocene era, um, uh, gender roles, um, all kinds of things. Um, also, each day uh, for uh, festival pass holders, we have a, a catered lunchtime event with. We'll have some uh, featured readers at uh, at those. That's in Cafe Istanbul at at noon on Saturday and Sunday. And then Saturday night is our big event. This one is going to be at uh, Siberia. Starts at 7 o'clock, and we've got Douglas Kearney, um, a brilliant young poet, a really a rising star, uh, very performative, and, um, and also very smart work. Um, he'll be here. Uh, Tanya Foster, um, New Orleans expat who's coming, coming home uh, to do this reading for us, and uh, our own Carolyn Hembry from UNO will be reading there, and then we've got several musical acts to uh, to close down the night, including the Call Girls and Skinverb, um, and uh, Cannonball Statman, uh, Bruce Andrews with electronic music by Rob Cambry and Donald Miller. Um, that show should go uh, into the wee hours. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And the Poetry Fest has grown so much just in the last three years. It started off at a really small venue, and now it's at the Healing Center, and it, it just keeps growing, which I think is is really great considering poetry is a niche thing, and a lot of people say, you know, well, poetry, like, does anyone read poetry anymore? And obviously, there are lots of poets and lots of people who read it because this this festival keeps growing. And New Orleans has such a really great creative scene as well for poets. Uh, yeah, there really are. Um, and interest continues to grow. I think word is just now starting to get around the country and the world. Um, I mean, we have people coming from... Uh, I believe the furthest one is New Zealand this oh, wow. year. And um, Susan Schultz is coming from Hawaii again. Um, and we have, and pretty much every state in the union. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very, very diverse uh, group who comes to, you know, I think about half the people who participate, actually fewer than half of the people who participate are local. Um, they come from uh, from all over the place. So it's a real good opportunity for local poets to kind of mingle with uh, people from other states and other countries. Definitely. Well, mm. thank you for bringing this celebration of poetry to us. Well, it's been it's been interesting <laughs> and fun. Mm. Yes. Well, Lavender Inc. Dialogo's books are available at Chubby and Coo's Mid City Bookshop, of course, and also online at www.lavenderinc.org. 
The New Orleans Poetry Festival will take place April 20th through the 22nd at the New Orleans Healing Center, mostly. Uh, some events in other places. Get more information and purchase tickets at the fe- or purchase tickets to the festival at www.nolapoetry.com. Thank you so much for your time, Bill. And where can people find you specifically online if they want to follow you on social media? Uh, well, Lavender Inc. has a Facebook page, as does the Poetry Fest. Um, Great. I think it's uh, at NOPF, or it might be at NOLA Poetry. I'm not sure, but NOLAPoetry.com will get you to everything. Everything. Like, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, thank you very much, Bill. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this month, folks. Join me again next month for more book industry news, my book of the month discussion of Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi, an interview with debut author Brian Camp about his new book, The City of Lost Fortunes, out April 17th, and a brand new segment called Tables and Fables, where I pair books and board games. You can find a recap of this month's podcast, including all of the links at www.tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. You can also find the bookstore on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tubby and Coos. And finally, a list of all the books our book clubs are reading, including this podcast book of the month and more, can be found in our brand new Goodreads discussion group. Just search for Tubby and Coos or follow the link in the show notes. Tell me what you're reading. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. I would love to discuss with you, please. And the music you heard today is by Jonathan Colton off his newest album, Solid State, available at solidstate.jonathancolton.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-C-O-U-L-T-O-N.com. Thank you for listening to Novel Ideas on WRBH. I'm your host, Candace Huber. Keep on reading. Keep on reading.